Hey, Simon. <laughs> hey, Simon. It's Skyler. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. How you doing? Hey. Hello. Hey Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. This is Conversations with Storytellers, a podcast of wisdom, thoughts, and folk and fairy tales from our elders. I am your host, Simon Brooks. This is a meeting with professional storytellers. I met Reggie Carpenter way back at a storytelling conference called Sharing the Fire. We talked about stories and got on like a house on fire and stayed in touch when we could. You'll hear Reggie talk about her life a little, her process and how quickly she rocketed to stardom in the storytelling world. Please welcome my good friend, Reggie Carpenter. Reggie, I'm very excited. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so Good. Much. I'm very excited to uh, to have you here uh, on Conversations with Storytellers. I think the first time I saw you, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I think the first time I saw you was in Auburn, New York at Sharing the Fire. And you were one of the headline storytellers there. Oh, yeah, it was in Albany, I think. Albany, yes, yes, yes. It was in yeah. Albany, right, right, right. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And we just, we just like hit it off right off the bat. And yeah, that's it was, right. I it, remember. Yeah, it was like long lost friends or something like that. And, yeah, um, yeah. And we stayed in touch since then. And I, I, you know, it's one of those things that the the people that are closer to you, you kind of forget to invite them onto the things that are kind of important, like conversations with <laughs> storytellers. <laughs> And then because because I was looking, you know, I was working with Doug Elliott um, and I was talking about Timpanogos, uh -huh. the big festival in Utah. And uh, I was like, oh, Reggie's going to be there this year too. I should have Reggie on this. Why didn't I think of this before? Yeah. So welcome to Conversations with Storytellers, belatedly, but, but you know, very much appreciated. Well, so what are you up to these days? <laughs> oh, well, I just finished. There's a couple of things really exciting. I just finished my summer touring, you know, with libraries. Uh -huh. And <clears throat> this summer I did this really interesting thing um, with uh, at a, a youth uh, detention center, like a. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was really neat. Um, I did workshops and storytelling. I learned a lot. Um, you know, these are these are kids who, if they don't like you, they uh, will let you know right away. And um, yeah, they were fantastic. And uh, you know, they have such stories to tell. That, oh, I bet. that it was really exciting for me. And then, um, you know, I'm still doing my uh, work with grieving kids, mm. and um, I'm going through. I just applied to become a hospice chaplain so that I could work more with grieving kids and families and adults um, with stories because I really believe in the power of stories to help people in grief and uh, in anything really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind That's of scary. It's very scary to leave behind my little world, you know, of just telling stories and workshops but but you're not leaving it you're just i'm just you're, kind of you're, transforming it you're broadening the road that you're traveling on by the yeah, sound of it yeah, which, is, yeah. which is awesome so how did you become a chaplain oh well 
in if you're a if you're a chaplain in a hospital, you have to have a Master's of Divinity, which I'm not really interested in doing. But uh, to be a hospice at a at a chat at a I mean a chaplain at a hospice, uh -huh. um, there's a year long course called Clinical Pastoral Education, and um, it's what you might imagine. It's like got a spiritual component, physical, intellectual component. And then I have to go in and work with um, patients under someone's guidance as a mentor. So we'll see. We'll see that what sounds, that would be like. And when does that start? It sounds amazing. Well, I don't know. I just applied. I haven't oh, had the okay. interview yet. But I feel like it was really great because I was talking with a friend who said I, I shared with her, you know, my story work around that. And she said, have you ever thought about being a hospice chaplain? I'm a hospice chaplain. And then she told me how she became that. And she told me about this class. And as it turned out, my pastor's husband is teaching it here in my hometown. And so, you know, it's kind of an, I felt like, oh, gosh, that fell in my lap. Yeah. Um, that's those. Are, that's what we, you know. The stars aligning, right, and all that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm sure. I really love being. This sounds funny, but I I love being with dying people, and I really like being with um, people who are grieving. You know, there's a there's a vulnerability there for them to to open up to their story in a different way. Yeah. You know. So yeah. It's really. I I'm I'm curious as to what will happen. I'm curious too. We're gonna to have to keep in touch with that. That's yeah, yeah. excellent. That's so good. So you, so for those people that don't know Reggie, um, who are listening to this, Reggie is a. I feel that Reggie is an incredibly powerful storyteller. I'll I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, her her root her roots really come from folk and fairy tales, and she also does a lot of personal narrative, which goes through a lot of healing for. For Reg, for you yourself, right, Reggie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, the power that you know. The first time I saw her, um, it was there was this 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 gravitas that was there, but there was also this this beautiful vulnerability um, that that came through this, this, the storytelling, and the way that Reggie can capture an audience was very very apparent at Jonesboro in 2019 um reggie was up on the stage and this gentleman and there's like 2,000 people in, underneath this huge tent in jonesboro tennessee and this gentleman comes down to the front next to the stage and he's talking to myself and a couple of the other performers who were there watching and he's like you know where's reggie carpenter and the guy wasn't very stable on his legs and um, he had this poster in his hand. He says, I want to give this to Reggie Carpenter. And I was like, I can give it to her, give it to them. I don't think I said her. I think I said, I'll give it to them, uh, it, you know, when they're around. And Reggie was right there on the stage telling the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, then in came the police officers. And the guy got a little bit more agitated and a little bit more agitated. And they dragged him out. Um, and it was at this particular point, it was quite forcibly dragged out. And when he was towards the back of the tent, he's grabbing hold of the the main stays that hold the tent up. And the whole tent was starting to 
wouldn't say shake, but it was definitely moving. Um, and they eventually got this guy outside. And of course, this this distraction, pretty, you know, as this guy was being walked out, a lot of people were watching this and Reggie said, why don't we just turn back to the stage and focus on the story that we're sharing? And everybody, this is the power that you have. Everybody on, uh, in the audience, all 2000 people of them turned and let you continue the story and ignored the guy at the back who was you mm -hmm. know, late later tasered something like six times or something kicking out the back oh, yeah. of the police I, car I only, I only heard that part later yeah well the, one of the police officers came back to the hotel and he was because he wanted to check up on you to make sure that you're okay and mm -hmm. i was and i sat and asked him uh like how it went and he's like well we had to taser the guy six six times so he was on something and he kicked still kicked out the back of the police car window yeah yeah but you, you know, throughout the whole thing, you you weren't at all, outwardly, you were not at all phased by this. You just kept Reggie Carpenter up front <laughs> and focused on the audience and drew mm -hmm. them back to you, which I thought was just incredible. I mean, it spoke a lot about your 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 gift as a storyteller and also your the, your, the power of your personality of being able to control a situation like that it was it was incredible to see well it was um it was strange because i think my sister cindy was sitting next to you she was yeah she was sitting right and in front then, of me yeah yeah and um i think he gave the poster to her and she was utterly confused and then i saw oh things are getting kind of weird and um and when I, when I, I, I saw that it was teetering out of control, you know, because yeah. it's just natural to be interested in something as dramatic as that going on. Yeah. And I also was concerned that people were going to get hurt because I wasn't sure about that guy's mental state. And yeah. <laughs> and, yeah he was... and there's like six guys on top of it. I was like, oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't look don't look don't look Reggie don't look don't look and I really I was like I can't look at him because I'm distracted and I gotta hold this together you know it was yeah. I, I felt badly for the guy because he wasn't he was mentally not quite right yeah I think that yeah I think there are a couple of things going on I think there was he obviously had some issues and I also think that he'd also been on something yeah, I mean, you, you can't get taste six, said. right? Yeah, you can't get taste six times and still stay standing <laughs> unless there's something coursing through your, yeah. your body to counteract that. Yeah. So how so how did you get into story uh, storytelling? I mean, were your parents storytellers? Were, were were there any members of your family that were storytellers? Well, no, except that everybody in my hometown, Clayton, is a storyteller because everybody's got. An opinion and you know but my dad is super super charismatic was super charismatic and he told a lot of mostly dirty jokes and but I from a young age so you know I come from a very small town in northern New York on the St. Lawrence yeah. River yeah. and the same town that you know four generations before me lived in of Clayton of Carpenters and from the time I was just little, I loved stories. But in my town, this was really, really, really neat. 
um, if you had a talent, like you could play the piano or you could sing or you could dance, it was just expected of you to go to a church function or some other function and do your thing. It was just like expected. And I, I would, from the time I was pretty young, I would go and sing and um, play the piano uh, for groups. And I never, never, ever felt nervous. Wow. The only time I ever felt nervous, I feel more nervous in life. <laughs> uh. You know, I don't know yes. what the rules are. I don't know what the rules are in life, but on stage, I understand. I understand the rules, you know, and I feel like, oh, okay, I know where I belong here. But in life, man, I just can't figure that one out. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway, I, I, a lot of people have asked me that question, and I have kind of a pat answer. I will tell you that I did not know what a storyteller was. I, I had never experienced a storyteller. And I, I thought in my mind that a storyteller was just a little old lady in a rocking chair covered with cobwebs <laughs> in the library, you know? But I, I was working for a um, arts and education program in Binghamton, New York. And that year they had invited David Novak to come and I had no experience whatsoever. And so I sat there and I was truly slack-jawed throughout the whole thing. I was slack-jawed. And uh, I went home and I told my husband every single story. And I said, wouldn't that be something to do with your life? I just felt like, wow. And then I started. And I took a class and I was awful. I was, I was dreadful. And then, how are you dreadful? Oh God, I was truly dreadful um, because I thought. Well, one thing was I told the story of the woman in the cave. You know the story of the woman in the cave. It's not ringing a bell, no. Oh, okay, it's a great story. So this maybe guy. You could maybe, maybe, maybe you could tell it twice. Maybe you could tell it right now, in the way that you told it when you were doing this class, and then at the end you can. tell tell it again as you as you would today <laughs> i would tell it the same way actually oh you would because oh, okay. i think the people just didn't like my interpretation oh yeah so this guy wants to know the nature of truth uh -huh. and he's got a car three car garage i mean he's got a big big house three car garage three cars in it he's got a beautiful family a loving wife and he's got plenty of money in the in the bank and he he is ready to leave it all because he wants to know the nature of truth and his life begins to feel really hollow and finally his wife who sees his distress says why don't you go and find the nature of truth and when you're done come on back but while you're gone could you put everything in my name and so uh, he goes and he takes nothing with him and he begins to travel throughout the countryside and he goes to uh, 
goes to shopping malls and he goes to mosques, he goes to churches, he goes to palaces, he goes everywhere searching for the nature of truth. But he never finds it. Finally, there's only one place that he hasn't looked and that is in a deep cave at the top of a high mountain. So he climbs the mountain and he goes up to the mouth of the cave and he says, hello. Is anybody in there? I'm looking for truth. And this old, old, old wizened woman with just a few long greasy strands of hair and clouded eyes, two teeth, one going north, one facing south, her breasts are down around her hips. They look like nippled salamis. And she comes and she says, I am truth. What? He says, you're truth? Yeah, I'm truth. Well, he has no reason to doubt her. And he asks if he can apprentice with her for a full year. And at the end of the year, he does feel like he truly understands the nature of truth. And as he's leaving, he thanks her and then says, Truth, is there, is there anything you would like me to tell them about you when I get back? And she pulls herself up and gasps, she brings her hands up and says, tell them, tell them that I am young and beautiful. And that's the nature of truth. And isn't that a true statement? Isn't it? Isn't it though? Yeah, there's, there's another tr story about truth. And oh, I, can't, I can't think of it right now. It's not a story that I tell, but truth is naked. And, and somehow somebody persuades truth to put clothes on because people can't stand the naked truth. Right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, truth yeah. and something are having a... They're having an argument, right? Yeah, and, they're having but, an argument. Or... They won't, who will they believe, like truth or lies? That's right. It's, it, it's something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. And and you have to. People you don't have to want put, to see the truth. That's right. They don't want to see the truth. Yeah, yeah. So but the assumption that. is that truth is ugly. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Which it can be. It can but be. Once you, but once you start living in truth, then it becomes beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> uh, I, if it does, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so so you told this story and they didn't like it no she didn't like it what, it's why didn't called she like the it? woman of the cave but i called it the nature of truth and she didn't like yeah, it because she, she didn't like it she didn't like it but then what happened was you know i got i got the bug you know yeah. and this was this was back when the the renaissance was starting not in the 70s but in the 90s you know 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And there were a lot of storytellers, you know, and I, I just got really, really interested. And I, I had a school show where things didn't go well. And I could feel that they hadn't gone well. And as I was going home, I thought there's got to be more to it than I think. And up to that point, I would say that I believed that stories were mostly about words. That I didn't know a storyteller is a storytelling is a relationship. It's a conversation. Oh. That I, I didn't know that yet. And so I went home and I got Ruth Sawyer's The Way of the Storyteller book. Yeah. And I read that and I picked out some stories. And in that book, you know, she said, well, you can put a song in your story. And so I, I went to music school and so I scored the stories as if they were music. And I would say, well, that would be a good place for a song. And I would make up a little song. And then she would talk about gesture and she would talk about the face. And so I kind of scored things in that way. And one of the great things that happened to me was that I grew up in, uh, I grew up as a storyteller in complete isolation. I didn't have any other storytellers around me except the ones that I listened to on, on cassette. And um, I developed my own style. And, the, and what did surprise me was when I went out to like conferences like Sharing the Fire, I was criticized because I was too animated. And, <laughs> and, and they, this was back when, you know, you were supposed to sit still in your chair. And, and there, is, there is a good reason for that. You know, you can intrude on the listener's imagination. But, you know, Elvis Presley, he said in one of his um, documentaries, he said, if I can't move, I can't sing. Yeah. I feel like if I can't move, I can't tell. Although as I've aged, I have come to really appreciate the minimalism of gesture. Yeah. And, um, so, so then I took a class with Donald Davis. I saved up all my pennies and I drove a long time. I went down to ETSU, Eastern Tennessee Southern what was it? Well, you study storytelling down there. And I, I, it was, it was the first time I had been working on uh, personal stories. Because like everybody, I started with the traditional material. And I feel that if you're going to be a storyteller, it's just like being a musician, you really do have to know the basic repertoire. Because that's that's the foundational work of every structure, every myth, every metaphor, you know, it's all in the traditional work. And so um, I had just started to ask myself, I wonder if I have any stories from my family I could tell. And I started thinking about the St. Lawrence River and growing up there. And um, because at at that time, Donald was just, Donald Davis was just doing all personal material as he has, you know, he started out telling Jack tales. Right. He moved into his personal material. 
And I began to see that, oh, this is my mythology. You know, this is, this is something to talk about that is eternal, you know, not personal. So anyway, that's what I did. <laughs> and you did it so well. I've heard you do, um, I've, you know, I've seen you perform both personal narrative and traditional stories and it's always it's always a joy to see you you craft your magic um you you've actually gone very deep with your personal narrative mm -hmm. you've shared some very what some people might call dark stories of your past mm -hmm. uh, I, and i think that's incredibly brave of you um there are dark stories of my past as well which aren't anywhere near like yours but um you know, I, I wouldn't consider going there. That's just me, right? But why How did you... Simon, why not? Why I, well, I, I don't know. I think there's there's this part of me that's like people don't want to know that, you know. Mm. And I think there are there are people out there that, that, that do that work that, that are really, really good. What I'm really good at is making people smile, right? I mean, it's that that's... You know, I, I like to go out and make sure that people have fun and enjoy themselves as well as get a message as well as have that epiphany, you know, that little click that goes off in the head. But I like to do it in a um, in a more of a trickster way. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I haven't found a way to do that with my personal narrative. And I haven't spent the time to do it either. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I don't do it. But for, for you, it, it was a big dive. I mean, you went like way down to the bottom to pull up material. Well, you have to remember, though, that I had been doing that for, you know, I don't have a Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm growing up. Right. Life. But um, I will say that just in response, before I start to talk about that, in mm -hmm. response to what you said is that people don't want to hear that. And there my my response to that is um you really don't know that that's a true statement that's true and secondly as an artist self-censoring whether you tell that story or not you don't you can create a story that you don't share but not telling it to yourself Oh, I tell the stories to myself all the time. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, and crafting it in such a way that it has, that the whole point of a personal narrative is that we find universal values in it so that when they're crafted well, they're, they're really about all of us. They, right. come, they come down to um, examples of redemption forgiveness resurrection honesty integrity you know they they those are universal values and personal stories when they're done well they always highlight that personal that universal value right i think for me it's it's you know when i first came into storytelling um I came in at from from a, basically, you know, I started writing my own 
kids' stories and I would tell them to kids. And then I saw the storyteller and I thought, that's what I want to do. These folk and fairy tales and, and like these myths and legends are way better than any story that I've written. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's what I, I started to tell folk and fairy tales and myths and legends. And I think when I when I got to see other storytellers for the first time as an adult, and I saw the ones that were telling personal stories, I think the majority of them were not speaking to the universal. That's right, yeah. Right, they were, they were speaking more about their personal experiences and how it exactly. affected them, which yeah. is fine. And there's the, you know, it's, it's like watching the moth or listening to the moth on radio, right? You get some amazingly good stories that really, mm-hmm. and there are other stories that are like, really you should have, you know, saved that for the, for the couch and the psychologist. Yeah, for the bar. Right? Yeah, or for the bar, right, or for the bar, yeah, right, any of those, but not for public consumption. And I think, I, I think that for me, I can, I can tell my story through the folktales. Right? I mean, when I look back at the folktales mm-hmm. that I tell, I see, ah, oh, that was going on in my life at this particular time. And yeah. this, is, this is a reflection of that, right, because stories do call out to you and they do mm-hmm. say, hey, tell me, tell me, tell me. And mm-hmm. now... You know, I'm, I don't know how long I've been doing this for a long time now, but it, it's, you know, halfway through my career to date, I suddenly realized when I look back at certain CDs, you know, when I recorded them, I was like, oh my gosh, this is about this particular incident in my life. Mm-hmm. And now when I find a story that says me, 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 I look at that story and say, what is this about me? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what in me is trying to come out through this story? Mm-hmm. And so I feel... To yeah. some degree that I can I can tell my personal stories without telling my personal stories. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, definitely. I can tell my truth without being naked. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember when my children were very, very little, I learned the story, um, Woman of the Sea. Mm. And that's the you know, the classic Selkie story where she ends up reclaiming her skin, seal skin and going back to her first home. Yeah. And I remember being profoundly moved by that story because I realized that as a mom, there were some times when I had to say, I need to close this door and be me. I can't always be a mom. You know, I mean, I'm not, wasn't intending on abandoning my children, but. Right. Yeah. No. I... But I can tell you that once I told that story, oh, it was early on in my career, and um, there was a party, and um, it was by a pond, and it was the summer equinox, and this woman had requested that I tell the story, and I did, and a man came up to me afterwards, and he was very upset, and he said. Um, how could you tell a story like that? How could you tell a story where she just leaves her kids? And um, wow! And uh, I stood talking to him, and it, it, he, I came to find out that his wife had left him with their children, uh-huh. and you know we project ourselves into stories that's how we that's how they work you right. know but i can i can really relate to what you're saying yeah i 
I like to, I wanted to challenge myself and also quite frankly, I really wanted to be on the national stage. And I knew that in order for me to be on the national stage, well, there are a lot of factors around it. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I need to tell some personal stories. But aside from that, I've always really loved my people, you know, and I feel like my family and my father in particular is somebody really worth celebrating. And I wanted people to know my dad. You know, my dad, he wasn't anybody that you're going to write a book about. No, he's never going to get a medal. He's never going to have his picture in the paper. He's just a guy from Clayton, you know, but what a guy, you know, and I, I just felt like, like I came, I came from kind of a hard knock life and it's a glorious life, you know, yeah. and I want people to know about it. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So you saw Mr. Novak, you took this class. Right, right. And you started started storytelling. What what were the first gigs that you were doing? Were they were they? Oh, they were all schools, like the rest of us. You know, I was just doing yeah. schools. But one thing I did do early on was I would volunteer to tell anywhere, like because to be a good teller, you have to have such singleness of purpose. You know. Like if somebody's throwing up in the back aisle, you got to like just keep going, man. It's kind of like when that guy came up in Jonesboro. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like um, I wanted to be able to have the kind of strength of mind that I would need in order to tell in any situation. And so I volunteered a lot. And also it was the way I understood that in order for a story to be really um you know, quote unquote, finished, the audience had to help me find yeah. it. So, yeah, I did a lot of volunteering in that early stage. And, um, and then I remember thinking, um, I remember being at a school and I think I was getting something like $225. And I remembered thinking, you know, I could probably do this for the rest of my life. And I wanted something more. And uh, I wanted to get out of just my region. And I felt like I wanted to challenge myself by being on and playing, playing with the big kids. You know, I want to play with yeah. the big kids. And I, I really became a student. You know, I, I bought a lot of CDs of Elizabeth and Donald and Antonio and, uh, uh, oh gosh. Antonio Sacra or Antonio? Antonio um, Sacra and, okay. uh, uh, and Diane Ferlad and Judith Black. I bought all the ones that I just put on a pedestal and I just, I listened and I listened and I thought, how are they doing what they're doing? How are they doing? Yeah. At this point in the conversation, Reggie started to ping and pong and sounded a little bit like Max Headroom. But when she came back, this is what she had to say. You had stated about um, 
my show about my experience with mental illness as a teen and yeah you know a lot of people say that i was brave but i will tell you that i really i wouldn't say that i was i i felt that i was just trying to save my life you know that i had never gotten free from my experience in the hospital and the only way i was going to not be 16 my entire life was to go looking for that story and i could wow. sense that that story was also a um you know a shit covered gold nugget you yeah. know that that i knew that you know so for me stories the one of the themes is um you know, one of the themes in my life is always uh, resurrection yeah. and forgiveness. And telling that story really was a way for me to reconcile my past and my relationship with my parents and my own take responsibility for the way I responded to different situations. Um, it did save my life. It really did. So I'm, story. Not, I'm not really brave. I just was desperate. So really, you're telling me that you're a coward. <laughs> well, I kind of am. And when I first told that story, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to just pass out because I, I was so afraid of what people would think of me because it had been my you know, I had had so much shame around it. And I was worried that people would just, you know, think poorly of me. But what happened was people started coming up to me after I told it and said, oh, you know, my mom had electric shock treatment. My mom, my sister committed suicide. Um, and, and so it became again, like what you were speaking of earlier with the traditional stories, the responsibility of the teller mm, yeah. when you tap into that gold vein of universal experience is to be able to give voice to those who can't find their voice. Yeah. So. That's, yeah. And you do it so beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. I think so. Thank you, Simon. So you, you mentioned some, you mentioned, mentioned Judith Black, you mentioned uh, Diane Filati, you mentioned Elizabeth Ellis. Um, mm -hmm. How many of these people did you see when you first started telling stories? Or were none. they just none? So you were just, it was I just the audio. Yeah. Wow. Who was the first storyteller that you saw? Dave, was it uh, Dave, David Novak, right? Oh, this is what happened. Oh, gosh. It's <laughs> so there was there were these there were two women from Ithaca where I live uh -huh. and they invited me to tell stories at their daughter's birthday and every single year they went down to the festival in Jonesboro and they said to me you know, you're just as good as all of those people down there. And I was like, no, uh, no, I don't think so. And then they need to go down to the festival with them. 
and they paid for my hotel. Wow. And they bought a ticket. <clears throat> and I was sitting in the audience. I'll never forget this. I was sitting in the audience. I was watching Michael Parent tell a hockey story, of course. Ah, of course. And, <laughs> and um, I heard a little voice say inside of my head, the next time you come here, you're going to be on the stage. And I was. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was spooky. And I remember laughing so hard, my face was cramped. It yeah. up because I just laughed so hard. And I saw Willie Claflin and I saw uh, Bill Harley. And I think I may have seen Bill Lepp. Um, but I had, I just had an amazing experience. And uh, yeah, and then the next time I was there, I was on stage and I, I really, I really, you know, I didn't know uh, what to expect. So it was pretty cool, really. Oh, cool. I bet. Yeah. So how, what was the difference in time? How many years did it take you to get there? I can't remember. I think it was uh, maybe uh, six or seven years. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because to be on a at the festival, as you know, you have to have a lot of material, especially that. Oh, festival. yeah. You have to have a good seven to nine hours of material. Right. I think, I think that's how much you need. But um, so you have to build it up. Right. And build your stamina as a teller. In order yeah, to that's that's one of the things I'm worried about this this year. With my stamina, it's you know I've done I've done some school gigs and I've done some you know community gigs and I've, I you know I've a lot of libraries and stuff, but there's there's been a couple of days where I've been doing two or three gigs a day. I've been mm -hmm. wiped out at the end. <laughs> During the yeah. pandemic, I have lost my stamina. Yeah. So uh, I've started. I've actually started something I've never really done before. <laughs> this workout. So yeah. No. I lose my. Too. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. That's. I, I walk for hours and then I just talk. Yeah. Yeah, talking's good. Do you talk to yourself in the car when you're driving between places? Yeah. <laughs> I talk to myself constantly. <laughs> and of course, you've got the dog. Do you practice the stories on your dog? Nah, she couldn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's your process? So, first of all, I want to know your process of, of learning a folk and fairy tale, like from like how, how a tale finds you or how you find a tale. And then I want to hear your process about um, telling the uh, personal narrative and if, if there is a difference between the two processes. The process mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Is it? Tell me, tell me, tell me. With a folk or a fairy tale, um, well, first, in order to find one, I have to read hundreds of stories. Mm, yeah. So many stories. And then some something will go, boink, and... <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, I'll tell you. You want that? You're you're the right one for me. And really, um, what I do is I I I read the story many times, and then I I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't know how other people do it, but I just start at the beginning, 
and I try to find my own language. So I'll read it and then I'll close the book and I'll find my own language to tell it. And then it's it's very laborious. <laughs> and um, I tell it and then I'll and then I'll figure out, okay, what's my transition line? And then I go to the next part. I don't write things down. I just build it little by little by little. And then I'll hear, oh, that would be a good place for song or um, uh, maybe I could put a little poem in there. And then I always start at the beginning and then I work my way through until where I've got it. And then I go to the next part. Once I've got the next part, I start at the beginning and then I work my way through it. And that's how I do wow. it. Wow. It's, it's pretty laborious, but it really works for me because then I have the pieces in my mind. And then um, some stories, I'll just start to, it, at certain points, like for the devil and the three golden hairs, you know, I got such a kick out of that grandmother. And, um, <laughs> and I really wanted to give her a, uh, a monologue, you know, so, um, uh, so I just, um, I really wanted her to be a spitfire because in the, in the story, it's just like he meets the grandmother and then she gets the three golden hairs, you know, kind of, the, and I thought, oh man, she's such a badass. And so, you know, <laughs> oh, loaf, 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 loaf. I remember it well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the devil and, um, you know, I'm not, uh, once I was a young and beautiful thing living on the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> And then I met him. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, he goes by a lot of names. Hey, yours. You know, and um, I wanted to, uh, that's a, such a great story to um, have a lot of different character voices. Yes. And I really wanted that. And uh, I also really liked this idea in that story of, him going into hell for his one true love you know yes. that kind of purity of story purity of intention i really liked that and uh so that's how i how i do it i start at the beginning and i just work it and then i always start at the beginning and i work it and i'll usually do maybe two sections at a time and then mm -hmm. i'll leave a day or so in between so that it can really marinate and then when I come back to it, I've really got it in my heart. You know, I've got the language. I love to play with language, you know. I'm probably at Timpanogos, I'm probably gonna tell Beauty and the Beast. And um, I had, I really liked that story, which I didn't think I would like. Um, but, uh, you know, there was once a rich merchant with three daughters and the eldest two glittered uh, gossiped and giggled as they glittered in gorgeous gowns of all of the greatest galas. You know, I mean, it's just fun <laughs> to play with language. Yes, know? no, I totally agree with you. And that's like, what I, the, the traditional stories, they, they allow you to play with beautiful language. Yeah, I like yeah. throwing in big words at the kids and being like, you know what that means, right? Mm. And, like, uh, and then you're like, well, it's like this, let's say it together, you know. Because there are such wonderful words 
in any language that mm -hmm. are so just oof, they're just like yummy so tell us about your process for the personal stories okay please well that's very different um i usually start with an image that's a really really strong image that i think is really cool um And then from there, I build out. So um, an example of that would be uh, when I was a kid on Sundays, we used to drive to the dump and we got, we got a TV. I remember one day we got a TV and we brought it home and we, ha we had six TVs. <laughs> so, there's two towers of TVs. I mean, you know, one had just the sound that worked and one had just the picture that worked. Oh. And I just thought that was so funny. <clears throat> and uh, and so in order to get to that image, I have to tell you about Sundays, right? I have to tell you about how that was a special part of Sunday. Yeah. And how my dad, how we used to love to go to the dump. And in another story, I remember that I had, I had sliced open my chin and I'm the youngest of five and we were living on Riverside Drive and my, my brothers and sisters, they all had scars under their chin. And because I didn't up to that point, they told me that I was adopted and that I wasn't really a carpenter and that I was probably not even Catholic. And and then, you know, so I prayed to get a scar. And um, I did one night and my mom, I remember my mom. So my dad never took us to the doctors, but my mom wanted to take us to the doctors. So my dad was away that night and my mom took me to the doctor. And the way my mom, my mom was always kind of a very private person, very self-contained and um she waited for me she threw me a dry washcloth and she waited for me on the porch and she said let's go she didn't pick me up and cradle me you know she wasn't doing any of that um but then we walked down the street and riverside drive is right along the river and so we lived over by mercer's dock then and you could smell the seaweed and the fish and it was mm -hmm. friday night it's the catholic side of town because clayton was divided like catholic and protestant and um you could smell fish fry and limburger cheese and my mom was wearing a turtleneck with no sleeves and a plaid pleated skirt my mom had a really nice figure she she was shaped like a guitar you know and I remember watching her hips just sway back and forth to the rhythm of the waves. And so that was the image that I wanted to build toward. And so I had to tell you, you know, I have to keep backing up, back it up, back it up, back it up, back it up so that you have a context, right? But the place that, um, my mom and I ended up was 
at the Shrine to the Blessed Virgin Mary in my hometown. And in my hometown, there's the Catholic Church is truly magnificent. I mean, it is, you know, it is truly, you know, unbelievable. And behind it is a beautiful shrine to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we sat there, but the, and my mom, you know, my mom, so I, I was like the only one who got stitches because my dad, <laughs> my dad would duct tape the other ones, you know, or he would butterfly bandage them. And um, anyway, the point was that I started this story with this idea of walking the streets of Clayton, just like my people had done for hundreds of years, right? Yeah. So that I don't have the scar, so I'm being told I'm not a carpenter. I get the scar, and now I belong. And we walk up Riverside Drive, that same street that carpenters have walked for hundreds of years, looking for a home. You know, so it's like an immigrant story and a family story, but it is really for me. It was a story about being with my mother and her holding my hand. I was just little, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were all pretty scrappy. So anyway, <laughs> it just starts with an image. And um, and the image isn't always strong enough, but, you know, it starts with an image and then I, I build around it. So the way I build around it is I create this kind of matrix where I just write down every single thing I can remember, like um, how the others got their scars, um, what time of year it was. I just, I just, you know, I, I like to think of it this way, like when you're, when you're doing a personal story, it's, um, it's like you hold bird seed in your hand and you wait for a bird. And that's how it ah. feels with memory. You know, it's like once you want to remember, it's like, okay, I'm going to wait for you. I'm just going to wait for you to come. And I'm going to start asking you questions like, well, what was it like in that house? Remember the Rottweilers that lived across the street? We were parked huh. next to the parking lot. And I just try to remember. I mean, I can see it in my mind right now. My mother's. I don't know if in England your mother your mother would wear something like this, but my mother, it was pretty popular. She had on a plaid pleated skirt with a large golden pin, you know, yes. that kept the skirt together. <laughs> and my yep. mother, when she stood up, she would she would smooth her skirt down, yeah. you know. And in the summer, she was wearing that, but she was also wearing a, a turtleneck with no sleeves. And to me, that became a metaphor about my mother. You know, the next day she's cold but the arms tell you she's warm, you know? And yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't holding my hand. She was just walking ahead of me. It's like, oh, finally I get to get away from the kids. And uh, <laughs> we were pretty rowdy, rowdy group. It was, you know, it's, uh, everything starts with the image, everything. Yeah. That's really cool. I, that's a, that's, yeah, those are two very, very different processes. Mm -hmm. 
that's, that's excellent that's excellent so has clayton changed much since you were a kid i mean i was there a couple of years ago and you know to oh that's right you were there that's right yeah yeah exactly the same except mccormick's burned down after mccormick's burned down um the they never rebuilt that and that's down further by the channel um and the boat line is closed but that building is still there but no everything is still there might have a different name but not really i mean hilda's is still there and ryman's is still there and uh big m is still there liquor store is still there um <laughs> liquor stores never go away coffee cold <laughs> it's still and the, cheese, uh, the cheese factor that yeah 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 sure the cheese curd although um <clears throat> that used to be a different store when i was a kid ah. my pop used to we would go on these sunday drives so cheese curd is when they like you, you're familiar with cheese curd is like um yeah. it's cheese that they separate out before it becomes a block so it's it's really oh so good and cheese curd is best when it's warm and squeaky and <laughs> my dad my dad um we used to cross the border because my dad knew a place in Gananoque where the cheese curd was fresh at two o'clock on sunday and so when i was a kid when we crossed the border we go across the ti bridge um mr frick our neighbor was the guard right and he'd say hey carl hey miss hey mark what's his name and he'd say, uh, what are you going over for? Oh, I'm getting some curd. Uh, how long are you going to be gone? I'll uh, we'll be back in an hour or so. All right. <laughs> so that was it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I know. I wonder about. Or anything like that. Yeah. I wonder about, like, some of those places in New Hampshire, you know, that I, you know, driven by some of these on, on routes to gigs and stuff, that are really tiny, teeny tiny little outposts of authority and yeah. i wonder if they were once upon a time they were all like that hey fred you coming over again yeah 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 it's fascinating all right a couple more questions very quick ones yeah and they're all they're all wrapped up in one what would be your favorite breakfast to eat where would you eat that breakfast and with whom i would eat it with my kids and their wives and their children I would eat brown rice, sausage and cheese, and really strong black coffee uh -huh. on the river. Duh. <laughs> in Clayton or in Ithaca? Oh, in Clayton. Uh, Ithaca, okay. Ithaca is on the Great Lake, is on the Finger Lakes. So. Right, but this, it's the land of the gorges. So if there are gorges, it has to be a river that goes through the gorges. No, it's the, the, the lake. It's um, the Finger Lakes. Um, right. Okay. It's Island Cayuga Lake. Ah. Which is the biggest of the five. Yeah. How about you? Where would you eat with whom and what? Oh, there are so many different places. You know, I, they just popped up into my head. One of them would be um, an old American diner. There's one down in Bellows Falls, Vermont, the Miss Bellows. Um, that would be one of the places. There's also mm -hmm. um, an old Worcester car that is in uh, Windsor, Vermont. Mm -hmm. uh, so those would be like two two of my favorite places. Malvern Hills would be another one, but that would have to be a picnic breakfast. 
um, and with my family, my kids and my family, probably, for sure. Yeah. How many children yeah. did you have? Two. Yes. Yeah. Two. You have a boy and a girl, right? Yeah, one of each, one of yeah. each, and there's a five-year gap between the two, which is good actually. Yeah, you got it some. It was sweet. good. <laughs> wow. I, yes. To, to yeah, not for my, not for very long. Reggie, it's been wonderful talking to you. I know that you've got to go. Sadly, I could, I could, I could keep going for another hour if you'd let me, but you've got to go. <laughs> well, we we don't have to just do this one time. We don't. We yeah. don't. We'll we'll do it again another time. We'll we'll okay, come up friend. with some more questions. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining me today. Bye, Simon. I'll see you next In, month. You will. Yay. Yeah. Bye. Bye. And that was Reggie Carpenter. I could have talked to Reggie a lot more, but she had things to do and things to work on. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Reggie, like my last guest, Doug Elliott, will be performing at Timpanoga Storytelling Festival in Utah this coming September. September the 8th, 2022, until Saturday evening, the 10th of September. So if you want to visit Utah or you live nearby, this would be a great time to attend the festival. Other storytellers there will be Donald Davis, Donna Washington, Conversation with Storytellers alum, Josh Goforth, Lynn Ford and Megan Wells, both of those are also alumni of this show, Nesta Gomez, Randy Evanson, Tim Lowry, Willie Kathleen, and as I said, Doug Elliott. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to check out other episodes. And if you think I should do an interview with certain folk and fairy tale myths and legends storytellers, then send me an email. You can find me and my work on Facebook, Simon Brooks Storyteller, on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com, and on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. Diamond Scree, yep, that's me, the English fellow and storyteller. A shout-out to Chris Jed for creating and recording and letting me use the wonderful music for my podcast. He actually did it specially for me, which is really cool. His band is called Blackpool Mecca, so check them out. You can help keep this podcast alive and support my craft by becoming one of my patrons. Paying anything from a dollar an episode that you enjoy to a regular monthly subscription. And in return you get extras, early release and exclusive content of my work. www.patreon.com forward slash Simon Brooks. If you can't join my wonderful tribe of patrons, then help me out by doing something you can do that I would be very grateful for. And that's leave a review on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find this episode. It won't take long and it helps not just me, but others find and enjoy this podcast. Thanks again for being here with me. I know that, that there are a lot of other places you can be and I appreciate it. Until next time, be healthy, be happy and share the stories you love. Cheers. Is it just a story?